0: you were here last week, you heard our first, our first sermon
1: in our first series, all right? And, and last week, we talked about Philippians. We talked about who the Philippians were. If you want to take your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Philippians. Uh, we saw that Paul had a superglue bond with this church, okay? These were some of his best friends in the whole world, and we saw why that was. Our last Our last sermon was called Finding Overflow, finding this sense of peace and joy and contentment that comes only from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and you may think, well, wow, David, that sounds great. I mean, but is that really a reality? <laughs> because there's a lot of people who know about Jesus, a lot of people who talk about Jesus in the upstate of South Carolina, but there's not a lot of people who are sold out, who are, who are completely fulfilled in their their dreams and in their hopes and in their purposes and their pursuits. We don't see a lot of that. So I can understand if your eyebrow is raised when I talk about having an overflow of joy. It's not common, unfortunately, but it can be true for you. It was true for Paul, and it can be true for all of us today, and we're going to see as we continue in this series this week that despite the adversity that comes in our life, if you have a life that is filled with Jesus Christ's joy and his love, you can advance through adversity. Advancing through adversity. And let's go ahead and just open up and start with verse 12, and we're going to see that life, you know, in the midst of adversity, because life isn't fair all the time, right? I mean, absolutely not. Like, there's, there's teachers, there's coaches who say the wrong thing to us. There's people in our lives who, uh, for whatever reason, have a personal vendetta against us. And no matter what you're facing, we all at some point have this in common. We face adversity. And Paul is in the middle of adversity as he's writing this letter. And no doubt about it, we're going to see that you can give it to the Lord. You can run to Jesus Christ in this sense, and you can advance through adversity. So verse 12. Verse 12, I'm going to read through verse 18. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in, every, in my imprisonment. What then, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I will rejoice. All right, the first way that you personally can advance in adversity is simply relishing the new opportunity that God has given you. That's the first point today. Relish the new opportunity. When our plan fades, God's plan rises to the surface and His plan shines bright. You need to believe that. And if you see it in in the Word today, you can actually have this, wow, no matter what happens to me, no matter what I'm going through, I can trust that God is in control and that he has something specifically planned out for this. He's, maybe he's going to teach me something through this. Maybe he's going to allow me to experience this so I can minister to somebody else through this situation. When Paul says there in the very, very beginning of verse 12, the phrase, what has happened to me, I want you to know what has happened to me. Do you realize there was a lot that had just gone on in Paul's life over these last like, couple years? If you want to trace it all the way back, you know, he's in prison right now. He's under house arrest in Rome as he's writing this to the Philippians. And if you trace it all the way back to where it started, it started in Acts 21, okay? And I'm not going to go through all these chapters, but I want to just briefly give you a rundown of what happened in Paul's life. So he's in Jerusalem. First of all, it was interesting that he was in Jerusalem because, um, you know, there was a lot of, you see a lot in scripture, maybe he shouldn't have even gone to Jerusalem at the time, but nevertheless, he was there, he was in Jerusalem, and the first few days were great, but he brought a guy named Trophimus the Ephesian into, basically, uh, he didn't bring him into the temple, but he brought him into the marketplace, and he was hanging out with this, this Ephesian guy. And the Jews, these, these religious Jews in Jerusalem saw that Paul had brought Chaphemies into the marketplace and they automatically assumed that he also brought Chaphemies into the temple. not just the part where the outer court with the, where the Gentiles could be, but that he brought him into the, into the temple. Totally ridiculous um, you know deduction to make, but they did it nevertheless and they created a riot, okay a massive, Sticks and broomsticks and yelling and kill the beast, kill the beast, kill the beast, like that kind of riot. We're ready to just just go nuts. Okay, so Paul gets carried by these Roman soldiers above their like they they raise him above their heads just to carry Paul out of this lynch mob, and he goes before Festus, he goes before Felix. All the I mean, Paul is Paul is tossed to and for to and fro. He's all over the all over the map. Like there's a a band of 40 religious zealot Jews that make a vow that they won't they won't eat until they kill Paul. Um pa- Paul is just just on on a, on the run, right? And finally he appeals to Caesar. Uh which another interesting thing about that was maybe he maybe he didn't have to do that. People do debate that as well. And we're not going to debate whether or not he should have gone to Jerusalem, whether or not he should have appealed to Caesar. That's not going to be helpful for us today. But the point is he wasn't flawless. He, didn't, he wasn't perfect. Like sometimes we can elevate Paul as this superhero Christian. No, he wasn't, he wasn't perfect. He made mistakes too. But in the midst of it all, I mean, he gets bit by a viper. Uh, you look at Acts 27, and, and he's in this storm at sea. And, and there's this passage there where Luke tells us that literally they threw all the cargo out, and like they had been in nothing but a, a severe storm. For days on end, and all hope of being rescued was lost. It was abandoned. Like, they, they literally thought they were going to die. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. Murphy's Law is kicking in for a good, good year here in Paul's life. And yet, Paul is sitting here and saying, Hey, I want you to know that what has really happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And if you think about the Philippians, they love Paul, they know Paul, they're probably worried about him, right? I can just see the 24-hour MSNBC news cycle talking about how Paul is, now he's before Felix, now he's before Festus, he appealed to Caesar. Like, of course the Philippians are wondering, how's Paul doing? How is he doing? And remember the, the last week, the first like 11 verses, we got nothing about him, he was just praying for them. And we're still not getting much about Paul here. But we're getting a little hint, and they're finally deducting, the Philippians can say, Well, wait, Paul seems to be filled with joy, so I guess he's doing all right. Right? Paul is saying that no matter what happened, it's not gonna stop me from doing what I was called to do. You see that in verse 13? Look at verse 13. Into verse 12, it is served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Into all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So even in mistakes, even in turmoil, even in horrible people doing horrible things to you, Paul's not, not, not worried about his conditions. You know what's very interesting is, in all of Paul's writings in the New Testament, he never once asks in prayer for the circumstances to change not for himself or for other people. He never wants, he never prays for the circumstances to change. Because no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the adversity is, which we're all going to face something that's adverse, that's going against us, he believes and he relishes the fact that this is a new audience. This is a new opportunity for me to do what I was called to do, to advance Jesus Christ. So here he is in jail now. He's not doing what he wanted to do. I mean, he wanted to be walking around. He wanted to go to Rome, right? He wa- in Jerusalem, he wanted to minister, and then he wanted to eventually get to Rome. He gets to Rome a totally different way. He's not hanging out in pizza parlors. I mean, were there pizza parlors back then? I hope there were. Um, don't tell me if you know the fact of when pizza parlors avi- originally started. I just want to be oblivious to the fact and hope that, that Paul enjoyed some good old pizza in Rome. Uh, but no, he didn't do that. But here, here's the thing. Despite his circumstances, he's not worried about it. He's focused now on the Imperial Guard. Okay, and if I could just geek out for a second on on Roman history, okay? The Imperial Guard is also known as the Praetorian Guard. How many of you have heard of the Praetorian Guard? So these are the elite of the elite, the best of the best, special forces in the Roman army. There was only 9,000 Praetorian Guard. And they, they didn't go out and watch jail cells in the colonies of Philippi. These weren't those guys. These were the guys that stayed in Rome that guarded the emperor. Okay, they got paid double. They were very influential, very successful. I mean, you know, if you ever run into a special forces man in the army, like this, this guy is no joke. And, and the Praetorians that were guarding Paul under house arrest right now, they didn't just throw him in a jail and keep him there. No, they actually kept him in a house, and they were handcuffed to him. You know, when you look at the original language, there's literally like a short chain between the Praetorian and Paul. So you got, mo- I don't I don't see this in the text, but most likely we can just deduct something along the lines of, every eight hours, you got another Praetorian guard coming in on his shift, getting handcuffed to Paul. So... Three shifts a day, 24 hours a day, Paul has someone in front of him. They're, they're watching Paul like, write these letters, dictate these letters out. They're watching the visitors that come into Paul's life. They're having a conversation with Paul, right? Can you just imagine for a second how those conversations are going? Well, what are you, what are you really in here for? Well, why do all these people want to kill you, Paul? Because you seem like a pretty chill guy. You seem like a pretty, uh, a pretty nice guy seem like you have love in your heart, so why is everyone against you and out for your head? Well, you know, as a matter of fact, Paul might have said, I understand where they're coming from because I was like that once, too. At one point in my life, I tried to kill Christians. Praetorians, you tried to kill Christians? Wait, tell me more. And can you just see how these conversations are flowing? And Paul is taking the opportunity to share with them what Jesus did in his life. Just like he, as he went before Felix and Festus and, and, and Agrippa and Bernice. All these people all the way through. He's telling them about Jesus Christ. How Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he's telling them about the judgment to come for all those who don't know Jesus Christ. And Paul is having these conversations with these Praetorian guards. The reason Paul has this overflow in the midst of this, these brutal conditions is because Paul is not living for himself. He's on mission for the glory of God. He's on mission to share the good news of what Jesus Christ has done in his life. Advancing through adversity by relishing the new opportunities that God has given you. Point number two is expect courage to be contagious. Expect courage to be contagious. It's in verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, human nature is just going to be the fact, if I follow Jesus, and now Paul is in jail for talking about Jesus, I'm going to be a little worried about sharing my faith, right? Can you just see, like, we're not talking about the Philippians now, but for a second, just take, take your mind to the Roman Christians. That were, that were witnessing all this happen as Paul was under house arrest, they're probably doubting. They're probably a little unsure of themselves, like, what should I do? What should I say? They wanted to see how this was going to play out, right? What is going to happen with Paul's case before he's tried? And, the, and, and, and let's think about it and just imagine for a second the Roman Christians who are gathering for worship. They're worried about Paul too because Paul's under house arrest. And in comes... A couple Praetorians. Here comes the Imperial Guard. Oh no! Are they going to arrest me too? What's What's going to go? What's happening? And that And that elite soldier walks up and says, "Well, hello. Uh, could I have a first-time guest gift? Uh, could you tell me more about small groups?" Oh, Paul says hi, by the way. These you see what's going on here? The Praetorians, these men who were influenced by Paul, they start believing in the gospel. They start following Jesus Christ. And the other Christians that are in Rome say, wow, look what Paul's testimony has done. Look at this. The, these guys are believing in Jesus now too. And that gives them boldness. Paul's courage is contagious. That's the same way it works in our lives, the exact same way. When we we take a stand for Christ, when we share about Christ, and we open up and talk about him in our workplace, we talk about him at school, when we talk about him with our our family member who's just lost and needs to know Christ, it emboldens those around us. Courage is contagious. Uh, I can just say, one of the most courageous things I've ever done in my life was totally spontaneous. Uh, it was it was a few years ago, and I was hiking in North Carolina. I don't know the exact spot. It was beautiful. I want to find out what this was and go back at some at some point. But I was hiking with a group of people, and we were, we heard a waterfall. You know, when you're in those one of those long hikes, and then you slowly start to hear the waterfall, and the water, and it gets louder and louder. We come up on this waterfall, and it's beautiful. I'm just. Enjoying God's creation. And then I see a couple guys walk up closer to this waterfall. And and basically, like a stairway to heaven, there's this like winding little path. Like it's not the real path, but it's a little run over path. These guys get about 40 feet up underneath the waterfall, not the very top, but right underneath the waterfall, and they jump. They jump through the water and like into like this the deep. Base of the water, and it was awesome. And I'm like, oh no, thanks, you know, that's not for me. I'm great. I'm glad they're doing it. I've never been the type that wants to just jump off of tall things into water. That's never really been me. Uh, but after a while, everybody's doing it, and then my sister did it. And uh, you know what I did? I was like, well, everybody else is doing it. I'm just gonna be bold and do it too. So I did. It. it was the most crazy thing I've ever done in my life. I jumped off a 40-foot waterfall into the water. I I went all pencil, like just. <laughs> Straight in. I didn't want to like break an arm. But I did that, and it was awesome. But do you see, when other people are courageous, when other people are stepping up, when other people get it, it influences us, too, for the gospel. So when you jump off a waterfall with the spirit of overflow, with the spirit that Jesus loves me, he died for me, he gave me grace that I don't deserve. I have mercy now. When you have that spirit of like, wow, I'm ready just I'm ready to tell others about Christ. When you have that in your life, you are gonna, you are gonna influence others and you're gonna affect other people. God forbid anyone in here ever lose a child or anyone in here, maybe maybe there are people in here who have suffered abuse. When you're in the heavy, heavy, dark moments of adversity, I also want to point out that not only, not only can you motivate other people, but God can use that trial, that severe adversity in your life, for you to minister to someone else who's, who's going to go through the same thing. Because a lot of times, other people... Who are in those valleys, they only want to talk to someone. They only need to hear from someone who's also experienced the same thing. And If you realize that even in those rough waters, you can say, wow, I know what you're going through and I'm sorry. I don't want to minimize anything, but this is how I slowly got through it. You have those opportunities. The thing that you need to do in these kind of situations is frame it. Frame what you think, okay? I have, a, I have a picture here, and you see the picture. You can frame it like a lot of people do, and you can just focus on the rough waters. You can just focus on, all right, this is this is the terrible thing that's going on, and woe is me, and pity my, pity myself, and yeah, it's... Get stressed out, overworked, oh, just that's that's the world. That's what they do. All right, they 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 focus on that one bad segment. All right, or you can take another perspective. You can frame another side of it, and you can say, "Well, God allowed this to happen. I can trust God." He knows what's best in my life. Yeah, I didn't get this opportunity and I didn't didn't get this advancement that I wanted. I didn't get the job that I wanted. I didn't get the sports position that I wanted. All my plans didn't come together. But God is allowing it for a specific reason. And now what's my new opportunity that I have? And how can I boldly go forward in in this trial and focus on the positive and actually... Turn this out for good, to point people to Jesus Christ. If you want to take the picture, the whole whole picture, the whole picture, we can't see it all, right? Only God sees the full picture. But as we frame certain aspects of, of what we're dealing with, you have to remember that there can be a rough patch, but God knows when the sunshine is coming. God has a plan in the midst of the storm. Okay? So, through it all, keep your eyes on him. Remember, to relish the new opportunity. Remember, courage is contagious. The last thing that I want you to see, this isn't just, this isn't just for, for you. It's, it's for those who are going to come later. It's for those who you need to give hope to later. But, the third point that we see here, starting in verse 15, The third way that you can advance through adversity is it gives you an opportunity to align your motives. To align your motives. Look at at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So there's two responses to Paul's imprisonment with the church, with the people that claim the name of Jesus Christ. You have the good response, the loving response, that cares for Paul, and then you have this selfish ambition. You have these people who are looking to advance their own agenda and themselves, and they take stabs at Paul behind his back. It's sad to say this, but you know things. As much as things change, they still stay the same, right? <laughs> I mean, we still see these things today. Uh, I'm just throw, throw up a little picture here of, on Twitter. I saw this today as I was as I was preparing this sermon. Um, this is a pastor who's in Oklahoma. All right, he he tweeted this out. What comes into your mind comes out of your life. You cannot have a positive life when you have a negative mind. And actually it's that's a great, I mean, that's a little snippet of his sermon, right? Like, very true. I couldn't believe what I saw on Twitter, like people just going nuts, taking pot shots at him, quoting him precatory psalms, and you name it, like just attacking him for saying this. Like, what is that? Why why would Christians ever feel the need to attack another Christian? I mean, look at verse 18. Verse 18 is Whether in pretense or in truth, if Christ is proclaimed, in that I will rejoice. Yeah, there's going to be people who don't understand you. That's fine. That's fine. The point is, even if they don't do it exactly the way I want to do it, they're not not doing it exactly the way you want to do it. Are they preaching the gospel? Do they believe in Jesus Christ? Are they showing people that they can receive forgiveness of their sins by faith in Jesus Christ? Well, great. I'm okay with that. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm glad, I'm glad they're preaching Christ. And this friendly fire is really hard. Um, all of us in here have experienced it. And if you've been in the church very long, you've probably experienced it at some point. Um, I know I have. One of the things that, that it really makes you do is it really makes you analyze why you're doing what you're doing. Okay, when, when you have another Christian who's just off the rails, attacking you, not there for you, they said they'd be there, they don't have your back, when that's not happening, you're reminded that, well, you know what? I'm not doing this so that they can think I'm, I'm some great person. I'm not doing this so they can pat my back. I'm not doing this for them. even though though they're ungrateful for it. You know know why I'm doing it? I'm doing it for Jesus Christ. So when all those other things happen, that noise, that adversity, those negative things, I mean, we're going to face it. Every Christian faces this. It's hard when it comes from other Christians. We expect it from the world. We don't expect it from other Christians. But it gives us a chance to check ourselves and to align our own motives. He must increase our... I must decrease. If you are living for anyone else other than Jesus Christ, circumstances are going to affect you. Circumstances are going to make that situation yucky. Okay? When, when things don't go your way, it's going to set you off. That's for anything else. But if you're living for Christ, nothing can faze you. I mean, you can see what's going on in Paul's life here. Nothing is phasing Paul. How many of you out here um, play chess? Anyone out here play chess? Got any hardcore chess players? I I want to, yeah, a couple of you, great, great. Uh, So I have a friend back, I I met him in Colorado. He doesn't live in Colorado anymore. I've I've lost track of of him a little bit. Um, But at the time I knew him, he was actually in the top 1,000 chess players in the United States of America, okay? And for anyone who knows anything about that, that's really good. Really, really good. Uh, he was one of those guys who would email in his chess move to like some dude in Germany, and then he would move that piece on the board. You know, he wasn't—he was too good to actually play an online game of chess. He had to feel the board and see the board himself, right? So, so he's doing these remote chess games. He had he had a library of books on chess, right? He was an intense chess player. I don't know what he's ranked anymore. But he was basically a professional chess player. And if you get to the bottom of chess, this is something he told me. If you get to, like, what is the root of chess? What is, it, what is really the main goal? It's to put yourself in a position that your opponent cannot defeat you. You put yourself in this place, this, this place of checkmate, where they have no other recourse, they have no other methods, they can't do a thing is what I want you to see is you don't just need to advance through adversity. Yes, adversity is something that God uses in your life to bring you closer to Jesus Christ. Yes, adversity is something we all deal with as we're walking alongside one another to point others to Jesus Christ. But you don't just have to survive it and advance through it. You can actually checkmate adversity. And the life that is overflowing with the love of Jesus Christ, with the grace of Jesus Christ, you believe that, you know what, God has this here for a reason. God knows what He's doing with my life. And if I really believe who He's called me to be, to be a person who represents Him, who glorifies Him, who shows the truth of who He is in this world, nothing can stop me from doing that. I can get in this position of checkmate where it doesn't matter what they say, it doesn't matter how the hurt people hurt me, it's okay. Because I love Jesus, and I have a greater mission than just for myself. No matter what happens to you, God has your back. No matter what happens to you, it can't get to you. It is well. Think about what you're going through right now. What is the adversity that you're facing? I know know there's something for every one of us in here. And if there's not something right now, there's going to be something probably this week or the next week. But I want you to give that over to God. Think about what is the new opportunity that God has actually given me in this season. Is there somebody that I need to talk to? Is there some new door of conversation that's opening up because of this? Who's looking at me in this trial? Who are the people that could actually contagiously gain the courage that I could give them? As you frame that, 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 that circumstance, that trial, that adverse situation, I want you to take your mind off of the the doom and the gloom because that's always going to be there it's never going to help you to focus on that instead frame it to the point of what is God doing in this situation let me align my heart to what God wants from me how can I bring glory to God in this situation No, we're not going to pray today that those problems just go away. We're not going to do that. That's the wrong prayer. The right prayer is the prayer that Paul has. I'm going to rejoice in this. I'm going to point others to Jesus through this. Talk to the Lord about that right now. If anyone would like to come up and pray, we we would love to pray with you. Father in heaven, thank you for never changing. You're the same God today that you were all the way back when Paul was handcuffed to those Praetorian guards. You were with him there and you're with us today. We praise your name for that. We know it is all going to be well because you love us we know you, you have your hand over us. Lord, there may be people in here this morning who are far from you, who do, who, who have never experienced this. And if that's the case, God, I, I ask that they will not leave this room this morning without talking to someone about it. We would love, love to share with them what you've done in our lives, how you've changed our hearts, how you've given us a purpose, and a passion that allows us to resist adversity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.